For Real Agriculture and Real Ag Radio, I'm Kelvin Hepner. The Western Barley Growers Association is celebrating its 45th anniversary with the release, the publishing of a new book. It's called Western Barley's Legacy. It's put together by author Russ Crawford, who uh, we heard from not too long ago right here on Real Agriculture and Real Ag Radio, talking about his, uh, his other new book called Limit Up. It's about the Great Russian Grain Robbery. Uh, this one also has a, definitely has a, a history bent to it as it tells the story of uh, the Western Barley Growers Association, the past 40-plus years of uh, grain industry policy in Western Canada, specifically as it pertains to barley producers. Russ joins us on the, the phone from uh, Calgary. How are things today, Russ? Really good, uh, Kelvin. Uh, nice to talk to you again. So... The, the Calgary Herald once called the Western Barley Growers Association a, a brash, young organization. Uh, why don't you kind of take us back and, and tell us about this book and, and kind of the history of the Western Barley Growers as you've, uh, as you've compiled it here, Russ? I sure could. Uh, that was an interesting quote I discovered in the process of, of looking back on the 44 years of the history of their organization. Um, and, you know, it goes back to the, the late 70s and when they uh, first uh, be decided to get together as a, as a group of farmers um, looking for change, you know, looking for some influence in the industry and the barley industry in particular. And, um, you know, they, one of the uh, fellows that I interviewed said, uh, you know, we were just a bunch of dumb farmers at the time, but they were, they weren't. Uh, that, that's the, the interesting part. They're, they're very smart individuals. And, uh, and over the years, they've attracted a lot of uh, similar types of people to their to their cause uh which was uh, basically uh, marketing choice uh, uh for the farmers to have more control over their industry and and by that i i am referring to the the marketing of their products the transportation of their products um you know the uh, the barley industry kind of got pushed to the back as wheat was the predominant market uh, canola came along as a as a viable alternative, but barley wasn't getting the same kind of attention. And so the barley growers uh, got themselves organized, uh, as I said, back in the late 70s. And the industry, um, you know, responded with uh, good support, not not only the farmer industry, but um, grain companies, and in particular, the some of the small grain dealers that was they were also developing in that same time frame. Uh, these are guys that develop producer car loading and direct farm to feedlot industry and, and that sort of thing. So there was a synergy between the farmers and the barley and the, um, the barley marketing uh, segment of the industry and the consumers, the, the, the feedlots in particular, and even the malting companies were interested in what they had to say. So um, the, the, the organization, uh, you know, went through a number of trials and tribulations, uh, working through Crow's Nest pass rate changes, um, you know, working through the, um, the what they felt was the an inadequate marketing services of the Canadian Wheat Board, and um, and and you know what took them actually you know over 30 years was the removal of that Wheat Board monopoly, and really the achievement of their initial goal, which was that marketing freedom. So um, the book basically just tells that story. It goes back and says, here's what we were all about, and uh, these are some of the people that were involved. And uh, and they tell it in their own words. So I did a lot of interviewing. I interviewed over 50 people uh, for the book and uh, and got their comments and their views. And then I've kind of put that all together in a story that uh, is told in their words. 
and it's a great little piece of uh, Canadian agriculture history, and and I think a, a read that uh, farmers and and industry people in Western Canada, in particular, will really enjoy. It all went back to uh, basically a small town hall in in rural Alberta. Uh, led to, of course, like you said, some some major changes are being on the scene for some some major changes in the Western Canadian agricultural landscape. How many uh, different initiatives in, in agriculture start in a coffee shop or a, a community hall or somebody's kitchen, um, you know, where ideas are, are you know, introduced and, and developed and evolved and, and turn into uh, significant uh, efforts, as, you know, not nearly something maybe as large as this, which lasted so many decades, but um, it, it, it all starts with, uh, you know, people getting together and, Boy, I, I say in the book, there's nothing more powerful than a group of farmers when they get their mind set on something. And I've seen that over the years. And this is a good example of that. You know, the determination and, and tenacity of, of Canadian farmers is, is you know, renowned. And, and, and this is basically a look back at, uh, at, at the efforts and the commitment that these guys had. You, you recall the, you know, the border crossing uh, where they, uh, 13 farmers were arrested for uh, taking grain across the, Canadian U.S. border without barley and or or, or wheat export permits, um, you know, it was just to make a point, and and they were very uh, dramatic about it, and you know, they carried bags on their shoulders and wheelbarrows and truckloads, and, um, and and made a, a real point. I remember, I think Ralph Klein was there and speaking, uh, you know, and, and you know, looking for, uh, you know, providing us the kind of support that they were looking for in terms of an initiative like that. So. Uh, they were they were determined and uh, committed, and, and some of them went to jail for that, you know, which was really really unfortunate. But that uh, that's part of their story, part of their legacy. Yeah, I guess there's also a, an aspect of this where it shows maybe the impact that a, a member driven organization, not necessarily a, a check off or or levy, an organization where where the the payments by farmers are regulated. Uh, this is completely a, a voluntary membership uh, type style of farm organization, right? Very true. And, and actually, the barley growers were the, were the group that eventually developed uh, the, uh, the Alberta Barley Commission. Uh, they supported the development of that in, in time. It didn't exist when, when they first started. But, you know, the, the farmers back in those days relied on the, on the prairie pools to, to be their, their uh, spokesperson. And, in fact, they weren't. They were more supportive of the wheat board stand uh, the wheat board approach to marketing and, and aggregation of grain and export, um, and it, it didn't necessarily align itself well with some farmer needs. And so they they were quite adamant in saying that the pools really weren't their voice, and they felt like they needed a different one that uh, more accurately reflected some of the specific farmer needs. So they they stepped away from the uh, the cooperative group in, in terms of um, their philosophies. And, uh, and, and, you know, and that's a tough battle. You know, the, the co-ops were quite strong. The wheat board was very strong and got stronger over the years um, under the liberal governments, for, for sure. And so they had, uh, they had their challenges, but they had support at different levels within provincial and federal governments, and uh, that kept them going. Yeah. So we get to 2012, and uh, the federal conservative government at the time uh, wound down ended the, the single desk of, uh, of the Wheat Board, which, of course, was, like you said, one of the, the founding purposes or a central purpose of the Western Barley Growers Association from its founding. I, I know, Russ, you're, 
you're the author, you're not a, on the board of directors, but uh, does the book go into some of that adjustment for the organization uh, after the end of the, the single desk in terms of its mandate and, and some of the, the process that had to happen after that? It does, a little bit. Uh, you know, there were different initiatives, again, at the Barley Growers had started uh, right around that time that identified some of the things that would need to happen in, in the event of a, a removal of the monopoly. Um, and they never advocated for removal of the board itself. Uh, they felt like there was room for that kind of marketing structure for those who wanted it. But recognizing that, uh, you know, if, if that monopoly were removed, there would be some things that would happen just, just kind of uh, on their own, organically, if you like. But the, um, there were a number of different recommendations that they identified as uh, were, would be required in order for the industry to be uh, competitive with other crops and, and uh, on a level playing field in terms of export and domestic markets. So they did their homework. They, uh, they identified, uh, you know, the, the, the barriers that, uh, you know, were potentially would, would come about by the end of the, the board and, and the, um, the end of the monopoly, I should say. But, the, 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 you know, the real important thing was um, the, um, whether, it was, whether it worked or not. And, and so the, we've had 10 years since the removal of the monopoly. And so the data is there to look back and say, how did this work? And, and you know, what were the results? And, and so we've got some evidence of, uh, you know, the, how the industry has managed to survive quite nicely, even though the, the threats are always there by, you know, the, the, the board said this would be a disaster and it won't work. And time has proven that the, the barley growers were right and, and that the industry is better off now to have more choice, more marketing freedom. So um, the, the story uh, goes on to, to, to do a bit of a look back because we've got the benefit of those of that 10 years that have gone by since the end of the monopoly. Well, I'm sure there are many more stories that uh, that will resonate with people here in Western Canada who who followed all of these events closely. Russ, where where can people find this uh, find this book if they want to get a copy of it? The um, the book is being uh, produced by uh, Amazon. Uh, the, the, there's a soft cover version. They're they're eight and a half by eleven size books, so they're a really nice memento kind of book. Uh, the hardcover is uh, is very attractive. I'm, I'm really really pleased with that. Um, I had to work with Amazon.com out of the U.S., so it takes a little longer to get one. But uh, if you go to Amazon.ca, you'll find both the softcover and hardcover versions. Um, the book is also listed on the Canadian Book Archive, so if you you know want to support a local bookstore, you can go in and, and ask for the book, and uh, and they will be able to order it for you as well. The Barnagores tried to keep the cost down on this. It's a not-for-profit kind of exercise. They tried to keep the price as low as they possibly could and make it available to people. And it's, it's more about the legacy. There's, there's no you know, attempt at making a profit margin on this. It's just simply to, to get the story out there. So um, it's pretty easy to find, and, and uh, Amazon gets these books delivered to you pretty darn quickly. So I'm, I'm really happy with the distribution aspect of it. All right. Again, it's uh, a book celebrating the 40th anniversary of the Western Barley Growers Association, uh, compiled and, and written by author Russ Crawford, joining us here on uh, Real Agriculture. Thanks for taking the time to join us again, Russ. My pleasure. Thank you, Kelvin.